Hey, what's going on there, nerds? This is David from Nerds on Film. That's right. If you're thinking to yourself, man, I love me some Nerds on History. Where can I get some more Nerdonomy? Check us out. We are at Nerdonomy.com. Nerds on Film, where we talk about movies, how it makes us feel. It's a loving, caring show, and sometimes profane. But check us out. It's fantastic. Peace. Brian, I wanted to wish you a happy new year. Oh, thanks, man. And happy new year to you, too. Well, thank you. You know, I, I, I got you a little something. It's not a big thing. So there's a tradition in Finland, of all places, where you you take molten tin and you drop it into water, and whatever shape that it hardens in actually helps to kind of predict your future for the coming year. And being that I actually had a a small piece of unprocessed tin laying around, I decided to do this for you. By small, I mean about three and a half pounds. But it came out to be absolutely fantastic. Here, let me put it on the table for you. Huh. What do you think? It looks like an alien bursting out of my chest. Yeah, I know. Maybe you'll overcome your uh, your fears this year. Get it away from me. All right, sorry. Welcome to Nerds on History. I am Brian Moriarty. And I am Eric Brickmon. And a belated Happy New Year to our audience. We took a longer break than we thought necessary... But uh, Eric's smiling at me because I just had my arms stretched out. I don't know why. Why are you doing that? You look like you're about ready to 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 dive under the table. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. It was just I don't know. It was some weird interpretive dance moment. I just wanted to feel the energy coming through me. So my arms just kind of I I totally went into airplane. I totally got that. Yeah, that's bizarre. Don't do that. Sorry, you're gonna knock something over. You got long arms. I do have long arms. Yeah, be careful. You don't want to do that when we have a guest. No, certainly not. Well, not that we have a guest this week, but if we did, you could have you could have injured them and, and thrown off the whole karma for the rest of the year. You, you realize that, right? Probably, yeah. I okay, probably let's, could let's, have. So, so temper your emotions. Bring it down a notch. Sorry, sorry. Okay. Anyway, like I said, a belated Happy New Year to our audience. Uh, and we also wanted to say thank you guys for sticking around because we were gone for two weeks. We were gone for three weeks uh, from recording. We the last episode we recorded was I think God December eighteenth something like that. It's crazy. It was like a week before Christmas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I almost forgot how to do this. I know, right? I couldn't even get in little... the door. Couldn't remember what key it was. Exactly. Um, but what we've done in the meantime has been so great. One, obviously, spend time with your families. Uh, we got some listener feedback, which we read while we were gone, and uh, more importantly, we just got back from Vegas. Vegas, baby, Vegas. Oh yeah. Good old NMX, the New Media Expo 2014. It was so much fun. It was great. It took place at the Rio All Suite Hotel and Casino. Geez, it sounds like I'm marketing for them, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, Save it for the real advertisers that we have now. <laughs> exactly. I think, you know, we should also tell our audience the truth, give them a little bit of a toast, because now we're legitimate. We decided to start 2014 taking Nerdonomy to the next level, which is we've been doing this podcasting for about, 15 months now yeah and it's uh been awesome it's reshaped what i was going to do with my life first for me personally i think it did it for you as well oh absolutely and and what brian means by real we've been doing this for a long time with the intention of turning this into into a business and we've gotten everything that we needed except for some paperwork that needed to be done uh officializing 
some other bank accounts because everything's been out of our own pocket for the moment. So now we have all of that in place and we really do exist as, a, as an official business entity and it is fantastic. It's a great feeling. I love it. Definitely. If you guys are wondering what that means to you uh, as how as Neuronomy changes, the answer is really not that much. We're going to be still delivering to you the same great content. In fact, we're working on giving you even more content. Quite a bit more, actually. Yeah. yeah. Uh, our goal is to have one for every day, day of the work week. That's our that's our initiative. One podcast, that is, yeah. Exactly. One podcast for each day of the work week. Plus, we've been talking about the video initiative. We're definitely still working on that. That's going to happen this year for sure. And the only thing you're going to notice differently about our episodes is that now we're going to start putting in advertisements, uh, right. not just for our own product, but for affiliates and for sponsors. And we have to do that. We have to say that we're doing this now uh, legally, because otherwise uh, we could get in some serious trouble. <laughs> so frankly, I like my freedom. And I know Eric likes his freedom. And I don't look good in orange. So we're going to uh, we're going to do that, I think. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of, of ankle bracelets for a whole other reasons. But yes, I... <laughs> Na 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 na. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, we we don't want to go to jail. Uh, I have you know several mouths to feed. So yes, we are excited about this. This is really a great opportunity for us. And 2014 has so much more to come. And we learned so much when we were in Vegas, when we were at the expo. Tremendous amounts of information from all of our fellow podcasters who were out there. And what an amazing opportunity to do some networking and and meet up with people, uh, hear some of those really amazing keynote speeches, and even get to meet. Penn Jillette, uh, Yeah, that from, was really cool. That was so awesome. If you've been on our Facebook page and you've been following us on Twitter, then you, you've already seen those updates as they've come out as our, as our time in Vegas uh, was documented and, and being shared with you on the interwebs. But nothing really, we can't really describe just how cool it actually was to uh, to do all of that stuff. It was, it was pretty life-changing. It was. And I learned so much from being there. I now have a, a more of a defined method for how we can reach a wider audience, which is what I think we're all trying to do. And yeah, it was just a lot of fun. Like Penn and Teller's magic show, which we saw on Sunday night, was spectacular. Uh, literally <laughs> spectacular. I was able to catch some of the of how they might have been able to do the tricks. I'm not going to reveal those because that would be disrespectful to what their professions are. But nevertheless, it was still a very entertaining show. And surprisingly political. I had no idea how political their content really is. Well, I knew the Pendulette has has been very outspoken for many, well, many Well, of course, because we know about their, their show on Showtime that they did. They have not shied away from religion or politics. If anything, they've made a point to incorporate it in their performances. And it's, exactly. it's really interesting. And they do it in a way that makes it funny, too. So yeah. that's that's the best part. Those metallic bill of rights that you could buy after the show that you could take with you to the airport. Exactly. So <laughs> it's it's metal, and it's got the Fourth Amendment, which for those who don't remember from U.S. government class, uh, is the rights protecting us against search and seizure from the government. Uh, that is highlighted on this metal piece of material that then the person puts in their pocket and so that when they are put through security and the TSA officer must uh, inspect what is in their shirt, they have to read the Bill of Rights. So there you have it. Pretty clever, I think. Uh, you know, I just want to mention really quick also Kyla, Kyla Prince from uh, In Your Skinny Jeans blog, and of course... Um, the Finding Our Hunger podcast Finding as Our well. Finding Our Hunger podcast was there in attendance with us the whole way, quite literally. In fact, she was in the car as we were driving to Vegas and back because we all we all uh, went together. And I just wanted to thank her for her being really our ambassador because we're, we're the new kids on the block, right? And to have her really be there and be a guide to us 
uh, was really special. And I just wanted to give her a special shout out and thank you on the show uh, for introducing us to so many great people. And, and like I said, kind of being our guide and being our ambassador at the event. Yeah, definitely. So that brings us to, I think, kind of what we were going to do a New Year's Traditions episode. And we're still going to do one. But rather, we were hoping to do one that lined up with uh, the actual New Year's holiday. Yes, but like Alan, we try to avoid the mainstream whenever possible. Therefore, we're doing it in the middle of the month. You know, there's non-mainstream, and then there's just stupid. Thank you anyway, Alan. We love you. Uh, Yeah, thanks, Alan. So, we actually thought, you know, it's not that really all that bad, because there... Well, first off, how do we define our New Year's traditions because we're talking about new years from the gregorian calendar or from anyone's perspective really i mean right gregorian is what's most common here in the western world but there are other parts of the world where they have different calendars and they've had and they reset at different times exactly exactly so we thought it would be good to do it mid-january because aside from the regular new years we also have lunar new year coming up right so there's a solar solar new year and a lunar new year and they more or less kind of rotate around each other and they change a little bit at least the lunar new year does right in lunar new year is usually a little bit later it's usually in late january early february yeah but you've, you've got a couple of months where they all still more or less meet up so not doing it exactly on january 1st is kind of our our allen way of supporting everybody sure. and of course as eric was saying that there are countless other cultures that have their new years at different times for different reasons right so uh let's launch into it shall we a truly excellent idea uh, you're going to find that there are so many traditions from around the world, but they all more or less have something in common, right? And that is getting pissed drunk, eating a lot of food, probably falling down afterwards, and staying up really, really late. Around the globe, that's the norm. That's what everyone more or less does. That's a celebration is what it really is. But then there's those little unique elements, right? They're specific to kind of each culture, each region, and those are the ones that kind of stand out, and those are the ones that are most fun to explore. What I find interesting now is that even in cultures that may not have celebrated the Gregorian New Year's tradition, it's pretty much celebrated around the world now. That one countdown with the big fireworks and everything, that is definitely still in practice. And I think you can really thank television for that more than anything, right? Because it, it brings the spectacle that it all is to everybody around the world, no matter where you're from you have an opportunity to look at a television or a computer these days and be able to see countless fireworks shows, right? Which one starts first? I can't remember because there's there's a certain island that begins the tradition. It's in Samoa, I think. I don't remember, but what I do remember is pretty much every year when I wake up to watch the news in the morning, they talk about Australia being the first major country that celebrates the new year. And that's got to be the first major show. I, I know it's... Uh, oh, I found it right here. It's in uh, the island nation, Kiribati, and Samoa. Those are the first ones to celebrate uh, the new year, while uh, Hawaii is the very last, because the international dateline and where that starts and stops. So, uh, you know, Samoa is a beautiful place. It's a wonderful place. I just don't know if they have the kind of resources to throw off a huge fireworks show like Sydney. So it makes sense that Sydney's kind of the first one reported about in the news. Sure, and they do have a pretty grand fireworks show that they do this year's was really spectacular well you know they do two which i think is really fantastic because they do one that's kind of the family friendly one that starts at 9 p.m and then they do another one on the actual stroke of midnight right and that's got to cost a lot i mean you think about sydney's fireworks show it's, it's one of the most extravagant on the planet you know it's always ranked like one or two every year in terms of like the top 10 sure and to have the resources and money to throw in and do two of them just for their community. I think it's pretty amazing. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of odd because 
they're in the middle of summer down in Australia, yeah. right? I don't know. There's some weird cultural parallel between summer and fireworks because I know there's other places around the world where they do fireworks every time of the year. But I kept thinking about, well, we have a pretty grand fireworks spectacular on 4th of July. Yeah. I don't know. It's just kind of a random Well, think about connection. it. When, you, when do you want to see fireworks? When you can go outside and be comfortable outside and you have a chance of a clear sky. During the winter, you don't generally have that opportunity. So really, the countries that are you know south of the equator have the best opportunity to have those kind of New Year displays with the fireworks and all that. Uh, so they're lucky. You know, occasionally in New York and San Francisco, oh God, San Francisco, there's always the fear of fog coming in or, or low hanging clouds or some sort of awful weather that kind of disrupts it. But sure. um, the show always goes on though. And speaking of that show and speaking of New York, because we're talking about the iconic representations of these fireworks shows, right? And, and how they're televised across the world. Certainly Sydney's a big one, but New York and the, uh, the dropping of the ball, yeah. that is... That is definitely iconic of, of everything New Year's Eve. Sure. What I find interesting is how the ball drop got associated with it. Yeah, well, let's take a step back and talk about why New York, right? 1904 is when this Times Square tradition got started. And yet, thinking about the United States at that time period, you've got other countries that are cultural hubs of the nation. San Francisco, namely, being the West Coast kind of cultural hub of the country. L.A. folks at this point had not been established really as the film industry hub at this point it was a, it was a town really it was a very small town at that point in time right so we don't think of it the same way we do today and on top of that you also have uh, a very unique played by the new york municipal government which was to drive tourism into that city and so of course they're going to try to do anything that will get people to want to come to the city to celebrate this is also one of the reasons why Broadway theater, by the way, for those who are wondering, of course, I'm going to use my theater major here to, to throw this out there. It's the reason why Broadway theater is elevated over other forms of theater, uh, other forms of regional professional theater. There's no difference in quality. And I mean that sincerely, having seen regional and Broadway theater, zero whatsoever. But because of brilliant marketing, that is what puts New York at the uh, forefront. And then, of course, the, all the other mechanisms kind of came into play as well. And it certainly applies to the New Year's celebration as well. Yeah. And, you know, it is a great venue to pull people together and bring people together into one place. Maybe not the greatest in terms of having a fireworks show just because there's skyscrapers all around you. But what do you have that's iconic right in the middle of Times Square, right? You've got, obviously, the middle of Times Square. You have a place where you can drop the ball and have everyone looking at one centralized point and keep, you know, a couple million people in one location right nearby. If you really want a place for confetti... That's a place to go, right? So it, it definitely works for the New Year's celebration. But like I said, you can't really do huge firework displays. So you have to have something centralized, something to catch people's attention, something for them to watch during the event. And that's when in 1907, they introduced the, the idea of the ball drop. And it has continued since that time. And the balls themselves have become even larger, more elaborate. They have electricity running through them. Uh, they are potentially these absolutely just massive displays and i gotta say those new year balls i hear something i was trying to stifle laughter because that just sounds so wrong please get your mind out of the gutter you're making me laugh while i'm trying to say it. you you're you, <laughs> you were walking you, you took it there you took it there, you know you dug yourself that hole sir i'm not well, going to take responsibility for that Qu i, I dug that hole for our audience is what i did okay quick one quick question though was this 1904 to 1905 or 1903 to 1904 
I don't have 1904 in my research at all. I have 1907 is the first time the ball drops. Oh, okay. So the times I'm so I'm talking about Times Square celebration. Okay, so never mind. Well, they they they, they do relate to one another, right? I can imagine for the first couple of years, everyone's like, "Well, hey, we're having a great party, but there's not really room for a lot of fireworks." And you know, what are we going to do? We need something to work towards. Well, hey, let's put a great big time ball in there. Gotcha. See what'll happen. Gotcha. Okay, because I have here that. Uh, the first celebration, just in general, for New Year's was in 1904. Right. Which I think, if we plan it right, that means this year was either the 109th or 110th celebration of that, just right. this past New Year's. Yeah, well, they've been they've been dropping that thing for, for well over 100 years regardless. And it's incredible, because if you really think about it, time balls were on their way out at that time. You don't think of them anymore. You don't think of them as anything other than Times Square because they're not relevant to us. They were relevant to mariners. They were relevant to the people of the sea. And uh, So that thing actually has a function to it. Yeah. I always thought it was just decorative. No, 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 no. They've been around for a long time. Um, the very first one was actually built in uh, Portsmouth, England in 1829. Um, Stevie. Yeah, good old Stevie. Portsmouth. Portsmouth. We're saying it right now in 2014. It was built by its inventor, Robert Washup. Uh, who was a, a captain in the Royal Navy. And the idea was that keeping very, very accurate uh, maritime clocks was important for navigation. That's how you were able to determine where on the map you were via longitude, right? So it was important that everyone be on the same page and not have to pull into dock to be able to do it. So what they did is they just erected these great big balls, and as they would actually ascend, not drop, the moment they had reached the top was when it was 1 p.m., and everyone can match their clock by that. Uh, 12 p.m. in America when they were using them, but in Britain and most other places around the world, they would always match their clock by 1 p.m. So I think it's kind of funny that they screwed it up when they got it to New York. It was all turned around. It was when the ball drops and hits the bottom is when it's New Year's. If they really wanted to do it accurately and, and kind of follow the maritime tradition, they should actually be raising the ball, and when it reaches the top, that's when it should be New Year's. Interesting. So I plan on emailing uh, Ryan Seacrest. Beyond the usual hate mail that I send to Ryan Seacrest. Good luck with that. Yeah. Well, I think he'd have better luck emailing Michael Bloomberg, but that's yeah, after, just me. After he took over for um, the now late and amazing Dick Clark, I've been sending on average about 16 pieces of hate mail a year to Ryan Seacrest. So I think I'm going to do something positive this year. I think it's part of my New Year's resolution is to send him some useful information for changing the show and making it more accurate. He is kidding, by the way, for those who are fans of Ryan Seacrest. Uh, if you are Ryan Seacrest yourself and you're listening to our podcast, he is kidding. All kidding. right, fine. I'm kidding. I, I only moderately despise him. Well, that's a total backhanded apology. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's unfortunate, though, because these, these devices did pretty much die out with the advent of radio when you could literally just send a message saying, it's now 1 p.m., please set your clock to 1 p.m., and therefore, there's very few of them around, except for the more notable ones at certain observatories and other places uh, like Greenwich Observatory in England, uh, the Sydney Observatory. Uh, there's there's a few. But um, we still get to at least see it every single New Year, even though most people around the world don't yeah. know what the hell it is. And that is. thing's expensive, too. It's made of crystal. So, Is it always made of crystal? Yeah. I wish they would make it out of something different next time, like rubber. I'd like to see it bounce a little bit when it gets to the bottom. Uh, okay. <laughs> that would um that would kind of take out the whole luminescence feeling of you know the spectacle of it i really think it should rise up to the top though i think that makes more sense i think it should rise up to the top and then explode confetti okay Everywhere. that would definitely be not a good idea to do crystal because then it would shatter and go 
all over the place toward the millions of onlookers under... Maybe this is why I'm not involved in the planning of New Year's celebrations. And speaking of which, how they managed to fit like a million people in Times Square is nothing short of amazing, because I've been to Times Square. It is not that big. It, well, it's long, right? Not really. It's like, pretty narrow, but you could fit a million people there. You know, I think this is a good example of how deceiving television cameras can be, because mm. the, the and lenses they use to shoot that space makes it look twice as big as it really is. It is really not that big. It looks like, no no joke, it looks like nothing bigger than a major intersection in San Francisco. And those aren't gigantic. They're Does it have to be a million people on the ground, or can they also count the spectators who are in the surrounding buildings? I think we're talking about the people who are on the ground. Well, you could squirm a whole, or squeeze a whole bunch of people in there, right? I mean, everyone's like, well, you look at people on, on TV, and they're all bunched together. There's like no room to move, practically. Sure. Uh, it's Anyway, it's, it's quite a, uh, an amazement in... Uh, <laughs> If nothing else, if not urban planning, then I would say in human resilience. Because, <laughs> <laughs> Well, regardless, it is a spectacle when that ball finally does bring in the new year. Yeah. And of course, after the ball drops, what's the first thing we hear? Uh, kissing noises. Little smoochies. And what's the next thing you hear? Uh, the sound of a drunk person falling over. Come on. Seriously. Oh, what? fine. You hear that, that ever so familiar tune. Ole Lang Syne. That's... And you'd be wrong, because... Oh. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. <laughs> yes, they play, of course, they play Ole Lang Syne. That happens. But they also, in recent years, have been playing New York, New York. What? Yeah. At the very beginning? Start spreading the news. You, never, you don't hear them that doing that? I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, Brian. I haven't actually watched since Dick uh, Clark died. Uh, I watched them one year with Ryan Seacrest, and then, I'm, I'm serious about that, like... I really didn't like it. <laughs> I stopped watching. Okay, after so that maybe point. this is just standing out in my collective memory. Listeners, please throw it out there. Correct me if I'm wrong. Seriously, I know I keep saying that, but actually do it, please. I'm pretty sure they play New York, New York first, and then they eventually you hear Ole Syne. I've I remember hearing Ole Syne before anything else in years past. But like I said, I haven't watched it in a few years. Yeah. I think the last time I watched it was probably 2005 yeah. then. It is not uncommon, of course, to hear that, because that's done pretty much everywhere. Now, that song, as we were referring to, Ole Lang Syne, it is a English and Scottish Gaelic kind of combination of words. As we know, as we get to the islands of the British Isles, English takes on totally different forms with totally, totally different words. So Ole Lang Syne is a, a variation of uh, old long ago or old long since. At least that's what they would like you to believe. The The actual truth is far more interesting. It, the original phrase was old anxiety. And it was it was the fear of a new year coming. Uh, and it just, it didn't work. So they, they ended up, uh, you know, saying, well, what could we do to kind of make it sound kind of like that, but not? And that's when they turned to Gaelic to provide them with that, that resource. <laughs> Uh, that is from my resource, uh, totally false information by ericbrickmont.com. Just throwing the resource out to, uh, to everyone out there. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Jerk. <laughs> I have nothing to say to that. Uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So let's talk about the song for a little bit. It was written by a Scottish poet named Robert Burns in 1796. Kind of. Because he does state that he had heard this song originally um, from somebody else, from an, an old person who had been passing it down from generation to generation to generation. But he was the first person to put it into print. That's correct. That's correct. If we even believe him, he could just have been doing that to uh, to spice it up a little bit, to make it a little bit more appealing, rather than saying, hey, everybody, I wrote a yeah. new song for New Year's. And this is also famously one of the most popular songs that no one knows the lyrics to. 
Because I don't know the lyrics. Whenever I sing it, I sing. And so, that's not because I've had too much to drink. And there's there's actually like five or six verses to this thing too. Uh, so it goes: Should all acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? Should all acquaintance be forgot and all lang syne? Can I have you? Can I indulge your your musical abilities for a moment, please? Because Brian, you just reading the lyrics to something just some for some reason feels wrong. And I'm gonna I'm gonna need you to do that over again, but with a bit of singing. Okay, I might I might need to make sure it's in the right key. So Sean, I might need to do this a couple times. I've got like seven or eight on my keychain if you if you want to try them out. Uh huh. Okay. Should all acquaintance be forgot and never brought to? There's a high note there. I have to. I'm not I'm not go, saying like you have to do it on, like you're on stage. Mind. Just just give it to us. You know you know quick and dirty, but but nice. Qu- quick and dirty, but nice. Yeah. I think there's a, there's a way to do that, right? I do. You have very interesting expectations. That's all I'm saying. Uh, Should all acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? Should all acquaintance be forgot and old anxiety? Well done. Well done. That only took us pausing and having you do it 17 Shut times. Shut up. But that was great. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> No, honestly, that was that was excellent. That was great. Yeah, I I don't know if I've ever actually sung the lyrics to that. And I don't think anyone in Times Square ever has either. I mean, yeah. maybe a couple of people. I think everybody more or less just goes. Bah, 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 well, and then actually, if you think about it, that's not even the the main part of the song. That's just the right. first verse that everyone knows. The chorus is uh, for all anxiety, my dear. For all anxiety. We'll take a cup of kindness yet for all anxiety. Wow, that was you threw a little something in there. That was good. A little vibrato. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, um, I do have some musical theater training. <laughs> that's what I was trying to get you to share with everybody. So, what, what I think I find most ironic, and especially the fact that you're singing it on the show right now, which has occurred to me, is that it really is kind of. Uh, counterintuitive to to the nature of this very show because it's asking people should, should we just forget about everything that just happened and just start all over again because imagine if people actually did that history would be really boring we'd only have 365 days of history and then we had to start over again yeah exactly and can you imagine doing our first episode of the year if that was the case what would we talk about yeah exactly new year's i guess we <laughs> yeah <laughs> but still. oh that was a, that was a good new year's we had wasn't it <laughs> yeah i don't know i can't really compare it to anything else yeah 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 Hope next one, next year is better. <laughs> Nerds on the future is what it would be. There would no be be no history. Nerds predicting future. Yeah. Nerd predicting the future, exactly. Uh, and then it was finally it was band leader Guy Lombardo and not Robert Burns who finally put it to uh, to music. Oh, then well, no, it was already musical, but he was the one who associated it with the New Year's tradition. He said Lombardo had first heard it in his hometown of Ontario. In Canada. Really? Or sorry, I should say London, Ontario. Oh. Ontario, of course, being the province. Because uh, it was sung by Scottish immigrants, which is, there you go, it's some interesting history for you. It was the Scottish immigration to North America via Canada that brought Auld Syne to North America. Well, there you go. Interesting. We can thank them for our New Year's song, Whiskey, yeah. Haggis, and, and of course, uh, Throwing Large Logs. And Love according it. to this, and we will be posting all these in our show notes, by the way. Uh, we are gonna, we, we've gotten the feedback. We're going to start doing it. We're going to start doing show notes, folks. According to this, it says that he was at a New Year's Eve party at the Roosevelt Hotel in New York City in 1929, and that's where he played it. And that's where it got associated uh, with the uh, with the, the holiday. 
Uh, it has been pretty much played at every New Year's Eve from the 1930s until the 1976 at the Waldorf Astoria. Uh, in the first years, it was broadcast on radio, then on television. The song became such a New Year's tradition that Life magazine... I'm reading... I'm pretty much reading directly from this now. The Life magazine wrote that if Lombardo failed to play All Lang Syne, the American public would not believe the New Year had yet really arrived. That would be a horrible prank. Yeah. If you were able to pull that off for like a couple of years in a row... You could really screw up somebody's sense of, uh, of reality. Sure. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because that's what we do in America, right? You know, we mean, of course, we bang some pots and pans just to make some noise because if the people who, you know, if they were already sleeping, well, no, wake up, it's the new year. Uh, much to the chagrin of people who don't want to celebrate it, just kind of like wake up the next day and have it be over already. But, you know, let's talk about where, where else in the world, uh, what other traditions there are, because there's some pretty unique ones. There are, and one that was introduced to me about 12, 13 years ago uh, comes out of Mexico. And I remember this very clearly, because it was the very first New Year's Eve that my wife and I had spent together. And at that time, we were we were just kids. We were really young. Uh, we were just dating at the time. And I remember it was, it was my first time kind of coming over and there was a huge dinner that was had and there was a big party and there were all these people that I didn't know and I felt kind of out of place but I think I felt the most awkward when I was waiting just for the ball to drop we were all watching it on TV and right next to it there was another presentation that was going like the picture in picture kind of thing and it was of uh Socolo in Mexico in, in Mexico City the the central location there, the big square that they have there. And the president, who was Vicente Fox at the time, came out wearing this giant sash, the presidential sash, and he was there with his wife, and he's standing, and he was going to ring a bell. And he's supposed to ring a bell 12 times, and that's symbolic of the 12 months in the year. And he does it the 12 seconds leading up to the new year with the final bell toll, or bell ring, I should say, on that that On the stroke of midnight, essentially. On the stroke of midnight, exactly. And all of a sudden, everyone had little plastic cups full of grapes. I was like, what the hell is going on? And somebody threw a bunch of grapes in my hands and said, okay, you you got 12 seconds. You got to eat them. You can't throw them all in your mouth all at once. And you got to make a wish every time you eat it. I'm like, I have 30 seconds to prepare for this. Interesting. I'm glad you said this because I was going to bring it up next. Yeah. I I didn't have any time to prepare. It totally threw me off guard. But sure enough, everyone was around me. And I've never seen anyone eat grapes more intensely than in that moment. I was looking around, I was like, I was eating my grapes, kind of staring around at everybody in the room, and everyone is just staring at the screen, trying to get each grape in their mouth at the right second, and just the look of relief on everyone's face when it was all over was absolutely hilarious. So, this actually is not just from Mexico, this goes back from Spain, interestingly enough. Yeah, no, and and it's not uncommon to find this tradition now in many Spanish-speaking countries, but yes, it has its origins in Spain. And it's relatively recent, because in Spain, it's only been practiced for about the past hundred years. About. So there was was a, a story that was told for a long time that people assumed was true, and that in 1909, that there was a kind of bumper crop of grapes in an area in Spain called Alicante, where they have these very, very uh, popular grapes. And there are white grapes. They're seed. They have seeds in them. They're they're the process for actually getting them to where they need to be for the new year is actually interesting because those grapes don't normally grow at that time of the year. So when they find the grapes on the on the bushel, they actually put little bags over them and try to get them to preserve themselves a bit longer so that they'll stretch further into uh, into the year. And they're meant to be kind of soft and mushy and easy to to eat for that very reason. Regular store-bought grapes down at your local Safeway are going to be 
pretty tough to chew and eat in 12 seconds. So these are actually kind of cater made to be to be consumed in such a way. Well, thank God they invented raisins, huh? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you can't use raisins. It's, you get 12 uh, bad things will happen to you. I don't know that. All that's, your, that's a lie. Each one of your wishes just shrivels away. <laughs> yeah, all of your fears for the year materialize, and, and you feel miserable. But no, the, the the idea was that this bumper harvest in 1909 is what uh, was a creative way for them to kind of cr- sell off the surplus that they had gathered. Uh, but that's not true at all. Rather, we think that the tradition began in the 1880s. We think it was an attempt by individuals in Spain who were actually mocking the bourgeois of France who were known to eat grapes and sh- drink champagne uh, to bring in the new year. And uh, when they would gather Porta del Sol, you know, along the central coast of, of Spain, where the big New Year's festival is often held, and all stand around this clock tower and watch it, you know, turn midnight, and they would eat grapes, kind of mockingly, of the uh, of the upper class French, kind of insulting them. But eventually, it became this whole tradition associated with good luck and the eating of these of these grapes to uh, bring in each wish into your life. Uh, the other thing that actually kind of threw me off was when people are asking me what color underwear I was wearing. Oh, yeah, and this is actually brought up by one of our coworkers who wanted us to talk about this, because the color you of underwear you wear determines uh, what kind of luck you're going to have. Yeah. So apparently green underwear is, like, money. good. That's, that brings in the, uh, I think that brings in the money. I'm trying to yeah. remember what was told. I you. think so. Yeah, I think that's what it is. I know white brings you luck and prosperity, and then red is supposed to bring you love. And yellow, gosh, what did yellow bring in? I guess you really just don't want to wear yellow underwear anyway what is interesting is i nobody really knows where this tradition originated from and kind of how it came into existence but i have a theory i believe it was created by men and i'll tell you why you're meant to be given these underwear in most places of the world that practice this tradition particularly in spain and italy uh you're you're supposed to wear a gift that was given to you in the form of whatever color underwear and if you're going to give red underwear to a lady you're probably going to go to whatever the equivalent of Victoria's Secret was at the time in which this was created, in perhaps an attempt to encourage this lady to um, <clears throat> sleep with you. Yes, exactly. Uh, so it kind of makes perfect sense, really, when you think about it, that it's, it, it was probably an attempt by men to, to, to get the ladies into something a little naughty. But I cannot confirm that because I entirely made it up. Okay. Yeah, just throwing it out there. But this applies to both men and women. It does. I'm yes. just being silly. And honestly, colors, uh, as we explored in our uh, episode on saints and also recently with with uh, Christmas, with yeah. Christmas uh, have all sorts of different special meanings. And so it's not a big surprise that uh, these different colors would be, be used. And red, of course, is a very special color in China. And uh, that is another rather interesting new year tradition. Yeah. Well, red is particularly important because it's a color of celebration, right? Red is... The actual, the, like, if you go to a Chinese wedding, it's not uncommon for the bride to be dressed in red. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Because yeah, when we remember uh, white, no, 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 does not mean purity. It's associated with death and ghostliness and otherworldliness. So you definitely do not want to be wearing white on uh, a New Year's celebration in China. And by China, we also mean, by the way, the lunar New Year. But yes, each culture has their own practices, but the Chinese New Year, as it is often called, is really just celebrating the Lunar New Year. Yeah, and calling it the Chinese New Year is really not fair, because there are many different populations throughout Asia who, who celebrate a Lunar New Year, and they have all of their own unique traditions associated with it. I think we see the Chinese New Year, particularly in America and particularly in other parts of the Western world, because China is the larger, um, more populous, more 
wealthy nation out of most of, of Southeast Asia. Hey, Eric, we're talking about China finally. We are. Oh, my God. It's a New Year miracle. It only took us 68 episodes <laughs> to get to China finally. We, I think we've we've mentioned we've mentioned China. them in tangents, but we're actually this is the first time we're developing we're devoting actual <laughs> like content. We talked about Chinese pyramids in like the first episode right. of our entire podcast, but right. nevertheless, we're giving it a little more attention. So let's talk about it because um, the Chinese New Year goes back to at least the celebration goes back to the Shang Dynasty almost three thousand years ago. So that's long-standing, and it began, of course, as a way of celebrating new beginnings in the spring planting season. Now, this is interesting. So to them, the time between you know, early winter and spring, you know, we always kind of associate with February, uh, the transition month, right? We're going out of winter and preparing for spring, when we generally tend to notice the Lunar New Year is in late January and early, maybe even mid-January to February. So it's kind of in that same area. You're prepping for spring. We're getting on the later end of winter. Days are getting longer again. All those kind of things are starting to happen. And uh, I find that it's an interesting parallel because we associate January 1st with the new year, but that's only been around for 400 years or so. Shocking for maybe people who those who didn't know. That's because up to about 400 years ago, we were still in the Julian calendar, right? not the Gregorian calendar. And the Julian calendar had the new year starting on April 1st, not on January 1st, which is why the term April Fool's Day even exists because the people who were still swearing by the Julian calendar and rejecting the Gregorian calendar. Were called April Fools. Exactly. I just think that's an interesting parallel because the new year wasn't really all that off from where it was before. And you think about it, celebrating it in spring or in the you know couple months just leading up into spring makes perfect sense, right? Mm-hmm. Because spring is that period of renewal. It's the period where things are growing back. It's the period where it really does seem like a new year. So I think we should go back to it. I think we should have April Fool's Day be converted back into the new year. I think we should go back to the Julian calendar. I'm going to throw it out there. Good luck with that. I'm going to celebrate it then. You know what? I'm making a vow right now. April 1st, I'm celebrating the new year. I'm still in pseudo-2013. Folks, if you have a rubber time ball, you may uh, ship it to Eric Brickmont's house. We will send you the info. Come April 1st. We're doing it. I'm, I'm serious. On April 1st, ladies and gentlemen, you will see a video posted by Nerdonomy, and it will be me uh, lowering, or actually, no, no, I'm going to, well, I probably shouldn't promise to be able to raise it, but I'm going to do something with a time ball on my roof to celebrate uh, my true new year, and you'll see it. Let's it's talk coming. about the bloodthirsty beast, shall we? Let's do it. Yeah, because, and you're wondering, well, what are we talking about? Well, we're still talking about the Chinese New Year, or the Lunar New Year, sorry, that we should, you know, aside from that being the new beginnings in the spring planting season that the Chinese New Year is associated with, it also became connected later with this myth and legend of uh, Nian, which is this bloodthirsty creature. And Nian is now the Chinese word for year, as it turns out. Uh, but there was this bloodthirsty beast that would prey on the villages every new year. I'm betting that that bloodthirsty beast is the dragon we see in the Chinese New Year parades. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, in order to frighten the hungry beast, the villagers would take to decorating their homes with red trimmings, burning bamboo, and making loud noises. The ruse worked, and the bright colors and lights associated with scaring off Nyan eventually became integrated with, into the customs that are still seen today. So the festivities are normally associated with food, families, lucky money, usually in a red envelope. Mm-hmm. 
uh, many other types of entertainment that fill the streets to this day. San Francisco's got a really impressive Chinese New Year celebration. It's one where, because we live in the Bay Area, our local news broadcasts it every year. Oh, yeah. And it's really impressive. It's fun. I, I went there once. It was years ago, but I had a really good time. It was yeah. loud. But it and was you fun. also, well, of course, because everyone's making loud noises, and you see lots of fireworks. You see... Um, firecrackers firecrackers i should everywhere. say everywhere yeah so pyrotechnics we should say maybe maybe not traditional like we're used to seeing fireworks in the sky and lots of great traditional chinese uh dances um and uh rope acts and it's really really uh, quite spectacular and of course the other thing we they associate is what year it is right the year of the rat the year of the dragon the year of the ox for example all those things and those have to do with the fact that it's just the Chinese Zodiac. The Greek Zodiac has 12 characters, 12 constellations. The Chinese Zodiac has the same constellations, but they associate it with, with different animals, right? So that's why they have it called the year of this, because astrologically, it is... Was it the year that it's in li- alignment with the moon, or w- what is it? Eric, you probably know better than I would. Uh, yeah, actually, it has nothing to do with that. Uh, oh, okay. Well, I but, stand corrected. No, it makes perfect sense, though, right? And I, I would also kind of have assumed that as well. But it actually just has to do with the fact 12 is a very important uh, number. And obviously, there's 12 months in a year. Uh, there are 12 time periods, essentially, that are divided up within all that, right? And then you also have 12 full moons within a year. And we're talking about a lunar calendar. That's a significant event is to have a full moon and to have 12 of those. So that's more where it comes into, right? And you have 12 of these signs all represented by an animal and all these different animals have different characteristics. And they had a starting point and they simply recycle every 12 years. So they go through. So, you know, if you were born between year, let's just do to use an example, between years one and 12, you were born on, on one of those animals. And if you're born between the years 13 and 24, then you would be starting over again, essentially. Gotcha. So year one and year 13 were going to be the, the same. Um, for those who are interested in knowing, Eric and I are the year of the ox, based on the year that we were born. Uh, which, it, it's interesting, if you read one of the characteristics of ox, uh, it's it's extraordinarily nerdy. It's Does it would... really say that? No. <laughs> but uh, that would explain a lot. <laughs> it, w- it would, wouldn't it? Yeah, that would explain, like, everybody from 1985 has very poor social skills, but is very, very <laughs> smart. Um, and has an affinity for thick rim glasses. So that obviously does not say that whatsoever. As does everyone in 1997. Yeah. Yeah. Now, those are probably the most common types of New Year's traditions you would associate, right? The one in New York. Of course, we talked about the one in Spain and Mexico, but also the one in, in China, which is also, of course, very similarly celebrated in Vietnam as well. They have some of their own traditions. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about Persia. Ooh, yeah, Persian New Year, indeed. So there's, uh, it's called. Uh, I'm gonna, I might be pronouncing this wrong, but Nowruz and the Persian New Year. I believe you're pronouncing it right. Yeah, uh, or Nowruz. So it's a 13 day spring festival that goes as far back into antiquity as it says, and uh, many of the traditions associated with it are celebrated in Iran to this day, and uh, in other parts of the Middle East and in Asia. The festival is celebrated on or around the vernal equinox in March. So again, we see again spring as a recurring theme for the new year and is believed to have originated by the Zoroastrian religion. We have never talked about the Zoroastrian religion. We've certainly talked about talking about it, but we've never actually devoted a full episode. We've mentioned Zoroaster or Zoroastra as as his name is originally um, described. It is the fourth major 
monotheistic religion to come out of the Middle East, and we never discussed it. People just don't generally hear about it. Yeah. It's not actually, some people I think might speculate that Muhammad may have been born Zoroastrian before he founded Islam. So, uh, that's not a surprise. A lot of the, the greats kind of had their uh, start somewhere else first. Sure, sure, right. Uh, I mean, I'm not trying to discredit other uh, monotheistic religions from the same way. So there's also Jainism, too, which we haven't, we've never talked about as well. But um, that's where the tradition is coming from. So the official records of Nuru's do not appear until the 2nd century. But most historians believe that it goes back as far as uh, about 6th century BC, is what it's saying. Wow. Yeah, that's that's impressive. Uh, and it's still an imp- it was uh, an important holiday even after Alexander the Great in 333 BC and the rise of the Islamic rule in the seventh century. So there you go. What kind of sets it apart from other traditions that are out there? Is there anything kind of unique about it? Pretty much common themes of feasts are, are definitely there. Uh, interestingly enough, exchanging presents. Oh, we'll, we'll talk about that. Another parallel to that in just a moment. And uh, with family members and uh, neighbors, of course, lighting bonfires, another parallel that we see in the Netherlands. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And dyeing eggs. Okay, interesting. Sounds a little bit like Easter almost. That's kind of. It's like a little bit of this mashup of Easter and Christmas, isn't it? I love this. I think I'm going to celebrate this from now on. <laughs> forget the, forget and, the ball uh, on April Fool's. I'm going to do this. And uh, sprinkling water to symbolize creation. There is water. Water does play a part in the creation myths in this part of the world. So I can see why they want to symbolize the sprinkling of water. Well, when you live out in a desert, water's kind of important. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not a huge stretch of the imagination how that got associated. Yeah. Though the holiday has shifted, bonfires and colored eggs are the, the two biggest things that have uh, remained to this day. And uh, apparently this is observed by 300 million people each year. So let's take a step back, because there's, oh, there's two things here that I want to talk about that f- I find parallels in other countries. First of all, the lighting of bonfires. They do that in the Netherlands, but they do it in a very interesting way. They light their Christmas trees on fire. <laughs> on fire. Wow. That, that is the best way to get a, rid of a Christmas tree. I, rather right? do, I would rather do that than put it out on the curb. Yeah. Well, actually, you should just put it in a mulch, but, um, but that's just me. But uh, Now let's burn it. Well, the idea is to get out with the old and with the new. That's, that's the tradition that goes with that. And I think I just that's interesting. I'm, I, I, even though I don't know it offhand... My intuition is telling me that that's what the association is with uh, the bonfires in the Persian tradition. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I agree with you completely. And I really feel like this is an opportunity for us to start talking about... Um, oh, well. The, the TARDIS just landed yeah, in just the nerd of, cave. That's kind of weird. You, you, you didn't plan this, did you? I didn't How could I have this. planned it? It's your I don't TARDIS. Know. Well, I mean, maybe you figured it out. You watched me do the controls a little bit. I don't know. Oh, my God. Oh my god, it's Sir Winston Churchill. Wow. Hello, boys. But, um, hi? Hi, Mr. Churchill. What, what, are you, what are you doing here, exactly? I have come to you today with a very important message. I have been sent from the annals of history to share with you a place where you can find unquestionable knowledge. Audible.com Oh. Well, I, I like Audible.com. I've heard of them before. Yeah, uh, okay. You can subscribe and download your own audiobooks and listen to them as you're walking about. Well, uh, 
Mr. Churchill, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure there's actually quite a bit of content about you and your fascinating life and the struggles that you brought uh, Britain through during the Second World War on Audible. Am I, am I incorrect? Oh, yes. Yes, indeed, you can. I, I imagine can. our listeners would, would want to listen to that. Yes, you should go to audible.com and listen. You should listen on the beaches. You should listen on the landing grounds. You should listen in the fields and in the streets. And eventually you'll want to give it all up. But you won't, because you have a 30-day trial that you can sign up for on audible.com. That's right. In fact, if you do, listeners, uh, Nerdonomy gets a little bit of the profits if you sign up for a 30-day free trial. You don't even have to keep going with it. At the end of that, you can surrender if you want, or you can keep going like the amazing island nation of Britain and survive the Second World War. That's absolutely right. And the way you can do that is by listening to our podcast, if you're listening to it straight from our website you can click on the Audible link to the side of the page, and that will take you to where you need to go. Absolutely. So just head over to nerdonomy.com, go to one of the posts that we have up on there, whether it be this episode or a blog post or what have you, and you'll see it just over in the sidebar. Click on Audible, sign up, and uh, hey, we'll get a little bit of the profits there. Can't go wrong with that. Absolutely. Sir Winston Churchill, thank you. We now return you to your time, and we've given you a complimentary bottle of wine. Oh, thank you. I would prefer cognac myself. Um, I think there's something, if you go into the TARDIS down 17th hall on the right, and then you go in, and you go down the staircase, and then you go through the place that has the swimming pool, don't fall in the swimming pool, go past that, and then you go up three stairs, it's kind of weird, it's just a little landing, but then over to your right is a bar, and I'm pretty sure I have uh, a bottle of cognac there. I'll just stick with the wine. Okay, very good. Thank you, Mr. Churchill, thank you. Pleasure, boys. Pleasure. Victory! Well, that was different. I like that. I like seeing Winston Churchill. He's, he's, he's fun. That was uh, unusual, to say the least, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I like it, though. Uh, all right, well, where were we? Let's see here. Uh, the gift-giving, because we talked about the parallel in the Netherlands, but why exchanging gifts, what other New Year's tradition do you know of that does that? And I can think of one off the top of my head. Russia. Oh, good right. one. Uh, A.K.A. Pseudo Christmas, because <laughs> for those who I'm sure have come from a Soviet or former Soviet nation, you know this without me having to say it. But since the rise of the Soviet Union and the rise of communism, uh, they, of course, took all religion out of Russian culture. Right. So, well, of course, within they, they took the it official, out of the official uh, Russian stance on it right correct like, so like, there's no state holidays for christmas or any of the exactly. christian or jewish or islamic traditions that were all taking place in that part of the world so instead what they've been they've done is they've taken all of the things we were talking about like last month yule the tree gift giving all these things they pretty much slapped yule with the more modern christmas take on it and put it on new year's instead so instead of a christmas tree it's a new year's tree and instead of santa claus you get grandfather winter which i think we talked about Back way back in December of 2012, when we talked about he's kind of a big deal. So, basically, the, the three things that are that are common to this day, even though the, the Christian religion has been reinstated in the official, uh, you know, Russian country, still got the New Year's tree, still got the gift giving, still got Grandfather Winter. Again, just another interesting parallel that we want to talk about giving gifts to one another. I also find it interesting that uh, there's an old superstition: is the first visitor that you have on January 1st is a man. Uh, you'll have uh, good luck for the year. And I'm also pretty sure that was an attempt for somebody to uh, get laid. Yeah. What if it's a woman? What does that What does that say about 
Is it just bad luck if it's a woman? It's kind of messed up, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it really is kind of messed up. It's kind of a, it's got a slightly sexist undertone to it, doesn't it? Yes. Well, that is uh, that is what it is. I'm afraid. What's next? What's another country we can talk about for New Year's traditions? Well, you know, I, I think that we should probably return back to the uh, Gregorian calendar for a bit and uh, chat a little bit about some of the more unique traditions that we kind of find around the world. And I've isolated a few of them that I just thought were um, interesting. Because in Estonia, it is believed that you should, you know, not unlike the grapes where you have to eat 12 of them, you should have 12 meals on the entire day of New Year's Eve. So that's pretty much one meal every hour? Uh, Pretty much, yeah. Some people say that you can go with other lucky numbers, like 7 or 9, but 12 is supposed to be the the number to try to hit if you're on New Year's. Uh, And you're not supposed to necessarily consume all of the food. You're supposed to leave some of it for the people who couldn't be with you, your ancestors who had passed away, which I think is just some guy came up with that to cop out of actually having to finish all the meals. I'm pretty sure that happened at some point in history. I just, the indigestion... (laughs) Oh, wow. I've talked about this before, but I love The Vicar of Dibley. It's one of my favorite British comedies. And there was that one Christmas episode they did where she got invited by everybody in the village to go to their house for Christmas lunch. And she couldn't, like, say no. So she ended up going to all these different Christmas lunches. And everyone got more and more elaborate with more and more food. And they all ended with a pudding, Mm -hmm. which is tradition in in England. And the very last one she goes to, it's just the two of them. But there's this huge spread of food and the pudding is massive and she ends up having to take a cab ride home because she's so full of food she's so engorged that she can't move so the cab picks her up drives to the next door (laughs) and then lets her out (laughs) and she walks into her home and just like crawls into bed but uh can you imagine having to do that having to, to commit to eating all these different meals actually people say that you should eat like several small meals a day but um that's a debated uh, nutritional practice but, but but keep in mind yeah. some of the traditional new year's foods include pork with sauerkraut uh baked potatoes a hog's head and uh, white and blood sausage so good luck vegetarians i guess you can stick with the potatoes uh but you're also supposed to drink a lot of beer and wine and mold wine and uh i don't think i could eat any more than three maybe four meals like that that's if heavy they were stuff really really small meals i might be able to pull that off yeah they just have, they have to be like you know a la carte like, okay like one would be the baked potato one meal one meal would be just the the boar's head obviously you're not gonna eat the whole boar's head you know you're gonna break it up into smaller pieces for everyone else you know i could probably pull that off it would still i would still be way too full but i think i could i could accomplish that i wonder if there's less drunk people in estonia than on on that night because i don't think i could drink as much if i was eating that much yeah and uh, the food would absorb a lot of that alcohol too it's true it actually seems like a good idea i might just do that too i want to combine all of these new year's traditions on april fool's day it's gonna be fascinating it's gonna make a great video people are gonna love it so you know i do want to talk about however we talked about in the cold open because that's a real thing divination from molten metal uh it's not unlike reading tea leaves and things like that and it is very typical in finland now but we think it was actually created in ancient greece now whether it was associated with the new year tradition at that time we don't know but nordic countries in germany and austria and finland they definitely absorbed this into the new year's tradition and depending on what shape comes out kind of determines what your year is going to be like so if you have a small shape that looks like a heart for example it means that you've got love coming to you uh what i find interesting is that they created the very largest one uh and these were known as uh uden von dentina is what they're called. Uh, it was 41 kilograms 
and it was created by the Volko Volunteer Fire Department in Lovisia, Finland, uh, in 2010. It's a big old hunk of metal. Yeah, no kidding. It's like, what, 20 pounds? Yeah, something like that. That's huge. It's absolutely huge. And they're usually made out of tin, um, but it's not uncommon to find other uh, easier-to-acquire materials used these days. Like, I think um, I've heard lead being used at some point, too. Lead, yeah, exactly. Lead, lead is a lot easier to get a hold of. But if you, you know... F- if you, for example, get something that um, looks like a horse, then it means you might get a new car, you know, because obviously people don't generally just get new horses. They usually get new cars as a result of, you know, the changing times. Uh, if you get something that looks kind of like a boat or like a ship, it means that you might be inclined to do some more traveling. And if it looks um, like an alien, you're pretty much screwed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It means that you're going to have something burst out of your chest and you're going to die. So good luck with that, Brian. What else have you got for me around the world? Well, let's talk about another country we've never really spoke about on this podcast and that would be sri lanka oh what are they doing sri lanka so the sinhalese new year is what they call it and um it's celebrated by the sri lankan tamils tamils it's an ethnicity within the country so the sinhalese new year uh, which is pronounced aluth avuruda marks the end of the harvest season and is held on the 13th or 14th of april again we keep seeing these spring new year traditions coming up and there is an astrologically generated time gap between the passing of the year and the new year which is the passing between the sun and the mina uh, rashia which is the house of pisces into the mesha rashaya which is the house of aries in the celestial sphere so they're talking about astronaut not just astrological but also astronomical events taking place so the astrological time difference between the new year and the passing year is celebrated with several Buddhist rituals and customs, as well as social gatherings and festive parties. So they also exchange gifts during during this new year time, which I find interesting. Uh, they light an oil lamp, which is also interesting. Uh, we see again the association with light. Uh, that's more we talked about that more with Christmas, but still nevertheless interesting. Uh, making rice milk and I'm oh, sorry, and, and uh, also making rice milk. So. Uh, It's also mentioned that in Assam, Bengal, Kerala, Nepal, Orissa, Punjab, and Tamil Nadu, Hindu households also celebrate the New Year on the 14th and 15th of April. You know, I'm glad that we're we're pretty much touching everywhere on the globe this episode, which I I just, I love. I think that's so great. Uh, A couple more. Let's talk a little bit about Ecuador, because I think Ecuador probably has my favorite New Year tradition. And... Which is what? Well, um... There's a there's a tradition where you where you create dummies. They're oftentimes made out of uh, paper mache to form their likenesses and what have you. And the bodies are stuffed with plant matter and and sawdust and other uh, consumables, things that can burn really easily. And they're created into the form of politicians, celebrities, and other more or less people where you want to have a good riddance attitude towards that <laughs> they're gone for that year, uh, and then they're burned. And I think that is the funniest thing on the planet so imagine us taking uh let's see who are some of the people that we wish we could have forgotten about in 2013 so justin bieber right got the bieber more or less any politician just pick one right and we'll throw a kardashian in for good luck just just to be sure so you celebrate the new year by burning your enemies in effigy yes how fantastic is that yeah, that's definitely interesting. Yeah. And then you... And by you, interesting, I mean terrifying. <laughs> and you burn them, and there's music, and people are dancing around them, and it just kind of keeps the party going. Uh, if you're a tourist, be careful, because you might find one that you think is uh, nice, and you want to hold on to it, and taking it could cause you uh, some rather serious burns, if not a serious beating, because people want to make sure that thing gets burned. How this all came about, nobody knows exactly, but uh, they do suspect that it 
the tradition goes back at least to the early 1800s. There was a, a, a myth for a long time that claimed that there was an outbreak of an epidemic in 1895 that ended up with the resulting of, of the burning of tens of thousands of people to, to dispose of the corpses, that that led to this tradition. But nobody can really support that. In fact, they think that this tradition goes back uh, even further, and it's now become widespread, and it passes throughout other places uh, in Latin America. Uh, you can find it also connected with uh, certain Spanish rites that are associated with the Feast of St. Joseph. Hmm. Um, and it's uh, not uncommon for Catholic priests and monks to even create and, and carry these mannequins along with them. I think the modern tradition is much more associated with uh, with the celebrities and politicians How and things is it like that, that. You mentioned this, and I didn't. It seems kind of... It's 2014. It's a new year. Who knows? Yeah. Things crazy. are changing. No kidding. Things are changing all the time. But it, it, it makes sense, though, right? Because it's this idea of getting rid of the old, getting rid of something that didn't work and uh hoping for something starting over again right? yeah hoping for something new something that'll yeah. work really I mean, well that's really the biggest parallel here everything is about starting over um you know every culture has that cycle that we go through yeah and whether it's in winter or in spring it's it's called new year for a reason exactly so should we end it with something ancient sure and gee i wonder what we're going to talk about next I'm covering everything today. I'm covering Catholics. I'm covering ancient Egyptians. I'm I'm just multi-talented for the new year. Uh, the festival of Opet. You didn't just notice, but Eric just pulled out a gun from underneath it. He was trying to uh, remind me of my now obsolescence now that he's covered both the Catholic and the Egyptian angle on this this podcast. There's no more room for me. I'm just saying I may be interviewing for a new co-host. I'm just saying. That's really kind of insulting. But <laughs> <laughs> I would never do that for one. You know that, and I know that. But do they know that? They not, do know. Now they do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Festival of Opet, it's it's kind of, I guess, one of the first written about uh, examples of a New Year tradition. And it was a little creepier than what we, we do now. Uh, the initial celebrations focused around actually staying overnight in the graveyards of, of the deceased and lighting fires to keep away animals and predators and having music and dance and celebrating the lives of those who had died. And then it led into a much larger kind of countrywide festival that would be held in all the major local centers and towns. Uh, again, lots of food, music, dance. They would even have uh, a recreation of the uh, the death of Osiris and his rebirth in, into the afterlife. And it would be symbolically played out by the pharaoh himself so even the king would come out and make an appearance in front of people and, and become an actor of sorts and, and play out this important ritual uh, you would have all the different um cult figures so all these different statues that were of extreme importance and and uh would be brought out from their temples where they're normally hidden away brought out right into public view so even if you were extremely poor you had one year of the day where you could come and embrace and be close and next to one of these idols and gods that you didn't normally get an opportunity to see unless you were wealthy enough to be, you know, making votive offerings to the temple. And even still, it was usually the only the, the temple hierarchy who was involved in those actual rituals. Even if you gave a gift, you probably still never saw the statue itself. So it was a, it was a big time. And it's, uh, it's no big surprise that uh, even separated by thousands of years, people still celebrate the new year for all the same reasons in more or less the same ways but they do have their unique variances that just keep things interesting and i think that that's why this has been such a fun topic to explore because even though we are all so very similar which we love to talk about on this podcast all the time uh it's the differences that keep things interesting yeah 
Thanks, Brian. That was insightful. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I was only half paying attention, so Reader's Digest version, what would you say? Thanks, Brian. <laughs> Just wait till the episode comes out. You can listen to it then. You're awesome. Appreciate your phone is all that much more important than my you know, I'm speech. sorry. I got an, a text from one of our guests who wants to be on Nerds on Film, and it was kind of an urgent thing, so I am sorry. I am sorry. I am sorry. Say it one more time. I'm sorry. All right, fine. I forgive you now. Uh, listeners, thank you so much for joining us today on this very first episode back in 2014. And you know what? If you want to do something nice, if you want to celebrate the new year with us, head over to our website, check us out, Go to our merch page, see what we got on there. We got some awesome t-shirts. You might be interested in them. At the very least, hey, maybe you want to go over to our iTunes page and give us a review. You can find it really easy if you have a mobile device or if you go and just type in Nerds on History, iTunes, into any kind of uh, web search engine, you're going to go ahead and find our, our iTunes yeah, page. And you can those leave a subscribe review. buttons that are on our podcast pages take you straight to the itunes store where you can go and subscribe and leave your review from there and we totally. have a lot of great reviews you know i was looking at them and we're just about as popular as in and out burger <laughs> i figured it out yeah Kate i did the put math. that on twitter the other night yeah this in and out burger is just about as popular as our podcast yeah we also have a wealth of social media you probably have found us on facebook or you can uh, facebook.com forward slash nerdonomy Join in the conversation. We're asking all sorts of great questions all the time. And some of your responses over the past couple of days have just been phenomenal. So keep that going. Totally. And of course, let's engage with us personally, right? And you can, of course, follow the whole company at Nerdonomy, but you can follow us as well. And I'm at Brian Moriarty. I'm at The Brickmont. And hit us up with a question or a comment about our episodes. We'd love to be able to reply. Give us some feedback. Tell us about a New Year tradition that maybe is unique to just you and your family. You're the only ones who do it out there. Or maybe we obviously could not have covered every single culture on the planet. So if you have a New Year's tradition that we didn't cover that you want to talk about, maybe you're Irish and you want to talk about how you like banging loaves of bread up against the wall. Yeah, And of course, as, as usual, don't take our word for it. Yes. For the first time ever, we will be posting our show notes to, to the websites we were referring to in this episode, and um, you can go from there and, and maybe use that as the basis for your own journey in discovering about this topic. Absolutely. Well, sir, as always, it's been a pleasure. It has, and uh, until we meet again, folks, stay nerdy. And tune into us next week, same nerd time, same nerd channel, nerdonomy.com. Bye-bye! You know, Eric, I was a bit ungrateful before. I it's wanted right. to. I just, I didn't know it was going to come out that way. And you know, I, I made my own New Year's sculpture out of molten tin. So here for me? Yeah, yeah, here. Oh, well, it's nice of you. Thank you. Check it out. <laughs> no, no, take it away, take it away. What? What's wrong with it? Uh, it's a boat with me on it <laughs> and a clown. And I'm pretty sure he's force feeding me avocados. You sick bastard. You are a sick bastard. Why would you do this to me? Because it's fun. <laughs>